Kwaba. Welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast, by size where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be as involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Hello and welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. Today, I would like to discuss a few things. Um, yesterday, I saw something which mm, I'll say is a bit disturbing, if I'm honest, based on what I said last episode in our podcast in regards to Chris Hewton and me believing I think he said he should stay in charge certainly for the foreseeable future uh, because at this moment in time I feel we're hopping from one manager to the next and I guess without continuity you rarely see success unless you're Chelsea Football Club but even then I guess a lot of that catches up with you at some stage as with their problems at this moment in time but um, what I heard, I think it was on today's Saturday, I know this is coming out on a Sunday, um, I heard on a Friday that he was sacked, and I believe obviously that was a bit of fake news, but that doesn't take away from the speculation obviously surrounding his name at this moment in time. So what I'm going to do very, very quickly is I'm going to go through this article, I saw one on both so- Ghana Soccernet, sorry, and also via the, via the BBC, which discussed actually this news. Um, actually, I'll read the title for the Ghana Soccer Net one, but I think I may read the BBC one. So for Ghana Soccer Net, it says, World Cup 2026 qualifiers. Ghana coach Chris Hewton faces squad dilemma ahead of Madagascar and Comoros clashes. And I think this is in regards to the injuries to Thomas Partey. And I'm not too sure. I think this may regard um, Andre Ayew, who's been current, who is currently sorry without a club. So I guess obviously with that, um, there may be some some fitness issues, but I'm sure there might be one or two other um, injury concerns. Obviously, going into those those games, um, and while form may be an issue for Ghana, I think we have a number of quality players which should see us through those two ties. And actually, whilst I'm talking about the former players, because I don't want to miss this out, the form of um, Kudus Mohamed um, has been phenomenal. He's taken to the Premier League like a duck to water, and that shouldn't go without. Um, without saying in any way, shape or form. And the reason why I say that is because there's been a number of players, I think, in the past, whether Ghanaian or not, who have struggled to adapt to the Premier League. And I think he's taken to it very well. We'll take it, I don't know who he scored against. Um, I'm going to say Brighton, but I could be wrong. I think I am wrong, in fact. Where he scored what would be almost like an overhead volley stroke, overhead kick, which was a, was a great finish, to be fair. So he's taken to it very well, both in the Premier League, but also in the... Europa League as well. So he's been a quality addition, not only to West Ham, but also to the Premier League. And long may that continue, because I'm beginning to think, with his age, I know he'll be at West Ham for a while, but I think um, he'll grow into the league, and who knows, at some given point, although there should be no rush, he might be able to play at a high level. So um, congratulations to him. And also to Antoine, oh my God, um, Semedo as well, who... You know, I've been either listening to the radio or watching highlights as well. I think he's only recently come back into um, the squad for his side. or the, Yeah, for his side. But he's beginning to gather momentum as well in regards to his footing in the Premier League as well. So congratulations to both those boys. Um, yeah, I do want to read the article. So this is from the BBC. Chris Hewton, Ghana coach vows to learn as pressure grows ahead of World Cup qualifying. Um, I'll read through some of this. Ghana head coach... Chris Hewton says he will learn from previous experiences as speculation surrounding his future with the Black Stars mounts before the start of their 26, 2026 sorry, FIFA World Cup qualifiers. Hewton, who is preparing the team for matches against Madagascar and Comoros, has been under pressure since the West Africans lost to Mexico 2-0 and 4-0 to the United States last month. Well, I've said this this, this last month now, or last episode, sorry, 
um, or even the one before. Now, while those two um, um, performances and results weren't good, I think we need to take into consideration that we're both in different places. Um, Mexico, um, generally speaking, I think I have a settled squad. Well, so, yeah, I have a settled squad. And I think I've been revamping that squad for a while now. Whereas I think we are in, we're definitely in the transition stage, but we've gone through several transition stages within this own transition stage in terms of actually we've had three managers, so straight, maybe four managers over the past two years. And that's not good for any form of continuity. And in the United States, that's something which I've spoke on several times, obviously within our articles or whether the podcast, whereas where they're gathering momentum, really gathering momentum by way of, the squad they're putting together and the players they're putting together, um, and I won't I won't run away from saying this in terms of the the diaspora for the United States uh, ahead of their 2026 um, World Cup campaign, which I believe they'll be not outside favourites, but I think they'll be team they'll be the team to watch. So that should be very interesting. So I think the pressure in regards to Chris Hewton following those games, I think, is a tad unjust. Yeah, a tad unjust. I think we were under the cosh certainly in the United States game um, and maybe we should have put a better performance in but I think we need to actually settle on what is and what we do have in a good manager um, and I say all that on the back of the resignation or the standing down of our, our technical, technical director who only again obviously last month I was talking about some of the good infrastructures and things they put in place so I do think that we need to be a bit settled um Despite the intense speculation, the 64-year-old says his mind is fully focused on the task ahead. It's mad, actually. As I was reading, I was just thinking to myself of, um, oh my God, um, Roy Hodgson. And I guess as to, you know, hmm, why did I think of Roy Hodgson? Maybe because of his age, really, and the fact that he's quite experienced. You know, Chris Hutton has been around the block, and I think you need people with experience. And I think for Garner to, to, to be considering removing someone with experience... Um, I think it's a bit of a bad decision. But who knows, they may have someone else in mind. And more often than not, when those sort of things and speculations take place, you generally do have someone else in mind. It's for me, as a coach, to learn from our players' performances and how we can improve. Because ultimately, you're now playing competition games. Two World Cup qualifiers, the former Brighton and Newcastle manager, told the BBC Africa. There are two games we must do well in. I think it's fundamental. I think we must do well in those games. Um, I think it goes without saying you want to win every game. But I think going into... The AFCONs next year um, in the Ivory Coast, I think you want to go into it with good form. Um, and while we may not be the favourites, I think it'd be lovely to have a lovely cup run and be the outsiders in some respect. My role as coach of the Black Stars is to get the best results and best team performances from the team. You can't always get that. So unfortunately, you can't. But you can learn from your experiences, previous ones, whether good or bad. And ultimately, I'll work as hard as I always do to try to get things right the best way we can. Let's move this article on a little bit. It goes and talk about Andre Ayew, who's left out of the squad. Um, ah, and has been recalled. Excellent. That's good news. I think he's a great personality. Um, and it talks about how he's been without a club since leaving Nottingham Forest. Uh, I'm trying to think whether he had a good spell there. I guess it was just okay. They escaped and relegation. I guess that's all that matters, really. Um, so his job done in some respects. And I think he got some good goals or some key goals. Um, Dele Ayew is still very, a very good player and still somebody that can be the best player in training I believe that I think he's got a very very good attitude I think you can see that 
He's somebody that has added importance because he's captain. He's a very good influence to the younger players that are in the squad. And it's and so it's not just about playing ability. It's for what he means to the squad. I can agree with that. I think sometimes you need very, very good influences in the squad. And I was listening to um, Ange Postokoglu speaking with Rio Ferdinand. I think this was only yesterday I was listening to this interview. This was Between the Lines. And I think those are very, very good series, actually, where Ange was talking about you can have one bad individual that can affect the whole dressing room. And I think that goes without saying. I think this is... This is common knowledge, but I think when you have a good individual, I think that can spread positivity and also fast-track your success as well. Mm, too soon for the Black Stars to think about the AFCONs? Yes and no. I think you need to think about the, the next game ahead, but at the same time, I think it's a good idea to start thinking ahead as to what the AFCONs is going to look like. So the AFCONs is going to begin on the 13th of January. The Ghanaian fans hungry for success. I think we need to temper our, our ambitions at this moment in time. I think we really do. I think um, we should focus on yeah, I'm not yeah, we should focus on the next game ahead actually, which would be the qualifiers for the World Cup, and then start thinking about the Afcons. And I think we should actually, um, again, it's very easy for me to say, and I'm sure Chris Hutton is doing a very good job, or certainly has a better understanding of this. I think let's start moulding a squad for what might be certainly this tournament, but also looking towards the 2026 World Cup as well, which is only around the corner. I know mm, is it around the corner actually. Yeah, around the corner, um, three, four years. You need you need a good three, four years to mould a squad. I think when you're playing international football. So I think um, now is a good time. Now is a good time. Um, let's see. Okay, let's skip a few things. As for the as for the nations as for the nations cup, Hutton expects expects face sorry expects to face stiff competition from a number of countries in the Ivory Coast. The Ivory Coast will be one of them, but Morocco, Egypt, Senegal, Cameroon, and Tunisia at this moment. The level of teams performing in Africa and the Africa Cup of Nations is as strong as it's ever been. I wanted to continue with the theme of those sides specifically and the competition in Africa being as strong as it's ever been. And the reason why I say that is because I was reading another article on oh, Ghana Soccernet. So shout out to you again, where it talks about the 2030 World Cup. World Cup, sorry, Morocco's remarkable rise as global football powerhouse. And again, I find this really interesting. Back off on the back of sorry, some of the things I've been discussing as to the United States, um, the United States specifically. I'm sure there's one or two other countries, but I mentioned the United States specifically over the past 12 months, I guess, as to the forming of their squad and also their World Cup bid. Actually, these things actually sync quite well because obviously Morocco have launched a World Cup bid for 2030 and have a nice young side um, assembling, obviously, with their success, obviously, in the World Cup, gone in Qatar. And likewise, I think the US and are assembling a very good squad and obviously have a World Cup coming. So what I'm going to do very, very quickly, I'm going to read this article on Ghana Soccer and I'm going to obviously add my notes and my thoughts to it. But I think this is really interesting. I'm going to get to it in just a moment um, with the events going on in... Indonesia, because I know I mentioned this a good, 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 good year ago or more so as to why um, a country like Ghana couldn't host an under-17 World Cup. And I know it talks about infrastructures and things like that. And the article I'm going to read um, in Ghana Soccer I think, speaks to Morocco's econ economic power, or so I believe it does anyway. So I will add some reference to it. But I think it would be a great thing that we can do in some shape as to... Looking at some of these sides in the in the under seventeen World Cup in Indonesia, so Morocco I know have won six nil today. I'm correct in saying so. Certainly the score was six nil as I as I saw earlier today. Mali have won today. I think there'll be a side to watch. 
Um, and also Senegal, as we know, are a very, very good African side. Uh, and Burkina Faso, I think we'll keep an eye on them as well. But I guess my thoughts were, but we're a Ghana, you know, as always, really. But at the same time, we're in Nigeria because we know they're a very, very strong um, African powerhouse anyway. So what I'm going to do, I want to read this article. Yeah, I'm going to read this article or we'll sign off on this article. Um, in my conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago, I told her we're living in a historic moment in Morocco's centuries-old and rich history. They do have a very rich history. My main contention was that Morocco's string of unprecedented sporting, economic and diplomatic triumphs over the past year also have heralded something memorable and momentous. I actually don't know all these things, actually. So it'd be great to actually find out what these things are. Sporting, I'm very aware of, certainly from a footballing perspective, but I'm unsure from an economic perspective and also diplomatic. Uh, but continuing, Morocco, I argued, has been on the right path to becoming a major and indispensable player, both the sporting and the, on both sporting, I think there's a, anyway, on both sporting and economic fronts. As the winds of prosperity and success continue to blow in Morocco's direction, the African, the African Confederations of Football, CAF, added to the sense that this could be finally Morocco's time to be granted the North African country the hosting rights for the 2025 African Cup of Nations. I don't know if that's been decided yet. Yet no sooner had the momentous victory for Moroccan football entirely sunk in that, on Wednesday, October the 4th, FIFA's executive committee announced that its unanimous decision to designate the joint Morocco-Spain-Portugal bid as the host for the 2030 World Cup. Actually, I don't know if that's decided. I don't know. I, I want to find out before we finish. With this decision, Morocco has entered the select club of 18 countries that have hosted the World Cup since 1930. There is one small yet significant detail that speaks volumes about the importance of FIFA's executive committee and the Spanish and Portuguese Federation's place in Morocco's contribution to the joint bid. I think it's going to be interesting. Let's make sure this has actually been confirmed. Morocco oh, goodness gracious me Morocco World Cup so I'm doing this with one hand Yeah, yeah, so it has been confirmed. It has been confirmed. Okay, so that's superb. Okay, let me go back to where we were. Okay, so with this decision, okay, da, 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 okay, superb. Last March, it was King Mohammed the sixth or the fourth, I don't know how this is done. Yeah, we'll go with the six, not FIFA, who announced Morocco's decision to join Portugal and Spain in bidding to host the 2030 World Cup. Similarly, it was Moroccan Royal Cabinet, not FIFA, nor the Spanish or Portuguese government that broke the news yesterday of FIFA Executive Board's historic decision to grant the three countries the hosting rights of the century edition of the world's most prestigious football tournament. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of 100 years. As such, it would be hardly an overstatement to argue that Morocco's choice to join the Iberian bid was a tiebreaker in FIFA's decision to select a winning bid. Due to its rise in diplomatic political, economic and athletic clout in Africa, as well as its status in the Arab world, Morocco surely made it possible for the Euro-African bid to win the votes of both African and Arab nations. You know what? Very good. Very good. I actually totally understand that, by the way, because I think it sits in a unique pocket. 
Indeed, as recently as last week, CAF president Patrice Moss, well, I can't pronounce his name anyway, was adamant that all African countries would cast one single vote in favour of the joint Morocco-Portugal-Spain bid. In this sense, not only did Morocco bring the joint bid the considerable weight of African votes, but it also brought it the potential support of several Arab and, and Muslim countries from Asia. In mathematical terms, Morocco alone contributed around 70 votes in the bid success. We're going to hold it right there. I think it's really, really interesting. And um, the reason why I say this is really interesting as to, like, see the political thing they talk about in terms of getting votes. It's amazing because I speak about why can't, like I mentioned an under-17 World Cup, but why can't a country like Ghana actually host the World Cup? And we know there are infrastructural issues and all that type of stuff. But let's say those things weren't there. Like, it requires votes. And I think with Morocco being where it is in terms of its situation, um, where it's situated, sorry, it does sit in the Arab world. But at the same time, you know, it sits in the African world as well. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? But also, with it being a joint bid, you know, it, it kind of like, it, it suits all parties in terms of, it suits the African agenda. Don't want to use the agenda. But it suits the African agenda. It suits the um, the Asian or straight Arab agenda. And at the same time, it suits the European agenda persuasion. So I'm not surprised it actually managed to get so many votes. Really, really interesting. It makes me think, actually, as to how um, South Africa was successful in its bid. You know, as to it being the first country in Africa to to host the World Cup. European countries, I'm not surprised people would, you know, vote for them. That's 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 nothing new. And I think there's a there's um a, a sense of nostalgia in some respect in holding the World Cup in in South America. You know, Brazil was um is a it sounds picturesque, you know. Likewise Argentina in some respect, you know. And also I was gonna say Mexico, but I'm not too sure, you know, because I think people speak about the the eighty six World Cup you know, as with it being quite iconic in regards to Maradona, you know. So I can always see those countries. In fact, sorry, I'm quite sure. Isn't the World Cup in 26, um, the USA and Mexico? Anyway, I'll look into that. But you get my, I think you get my point. It's interesting, the political, the landscape in regards to that. But continuing, I'm not too sure how long this article is. It's a little long. Um, where are we? Oh, oh, brilliant. It talks about that. Look at that. Okay, let's continue. There is a saying in Morocco, when good fortune comes to our door, it comes with a vengeance. This is exactly what it appears this is exactly what appears to be happening to Morocco at the moment. Morocco has hosted has not hosted a major tournament since it last hosted the Afcons in 1988. Wow. Being the first African and Arab nation to make it out of the World Cup group stage at the 86 World Cup in Mexico, Morocco was why has already widely regarded was widely was already widely regarded back then as one of Africa's greatest footballing nations. Indeed, it was Morocco's outstanding performance at the World Cup that prompted FIFA to increase the number of African teams at the World Cup from two in eighty six to three in ninety. In nineteen eighty eight, Morocco became the first African and Arab nation to join the race for hosting the World Cup. The country initially bid to host the ninety four iteration of the global tournament but the hosting rights of that World Cup went to the United States. Following the first attempt, Morocco made four bids in 98, 2006, 2010 and 2026. Do you know what? That's also really interesting. I would love to know how many African countries have actually bidded for a World Cup. Now that would be interesting. Continuing, 
but unfortunately lost every time. Morocco came close to winning in all its bids, bidding efforts, except for the twin, for the 2006 World Cup attempt, when, Mor when the Moroccan bid was eliminated in the first round of voting. Although Morocco's repeated attempts to win the World Cup hosting rights were unsuccessful, they nevertheless paved the way for African and Arab nations to be recognised as potential hosts for the global tournament. Do you know what? For that, I actually clapped my hands. Well, yeah, I clapped my hands and I applaud them for that. Do you know, because I think sometimes, despite the fact that you're not successful, I think by um, paving the way for the conversation, I think you, you begin to open people's minds. There was something else I wanted to say. I felt it was really important. Um, no, I want to know the... Or maybe it might open your mind as well. I want to know some of the things that actually needed or that need to be in place in order to actually um, be considered for a World Cup bid. Um, I've had this conversation or we, we had this conversation on the podcast previously as to, I think it was the Under-17 World Cup. But I think it'd be really interesting what infrastructure and things need to be in place for a World Cup bid, considering Morocco have made four bids. It'll be five, including the one they've been successful in. Continuing, as such... Yeah, as such, Morocco could be considered a trailblazer for other African and Arab nations. Morocco's persistence, as I just said, to compete with other nations fostered a belief in African and Arab countries that they have a chance and a right to host the global tournament and break away from FIFA's tendency to rotate... Thank you! Tendency to rotate between European and the Americas. Lord have mercy. It encouraged other countries to consider themselves as worthy contenders to host what is a widely considered what is widely considered to be the world's most illustrious football event. Just said all that. Brilliant. But after a relatively memorable performance at the ninety sorry, the 1986 World Cup in Mexico, Morocco's Atlas Lions largely disappointed on the world stage until 2022. The, yeah, the previous World Cup. At the 94, 98 and 2018 World Cups, the Atlas Lions were outgunned and eliminated in the group stage. Or the Moroccan, although the Moroccan team showcased world-class talent, playing an attractive and enjoyable style of football at these tournaments, they always came short in moving to the next level. Do you know what? the one thing I say about Moroccans, or northeast or northwest Africans, they come with a huge contingent of fans. They took over Qatar, and it's right in saying so. They have always had like talented players, both Moroccan, Egyptian, and also Tunisians as well. So, um, yeah, congratulations to all the, the North African sides, but I know we're talking specifically about Morocco. During the 98 World Cup, hosted in France, Morocco came close to making it to the second round. Millions of Moroccans are still haunted by the cruel memory of the country's heartbreaking elimination from that World Cup after Norway scored a last-minute winning goal against Brazil. However, the tables turned during the 2022 World Cup, when Morocco captured global attention with its historic performances true, including victories over top-tier teams. Above all else, Morocco's historic qualification made it, made it the first African and Arab country to reach a milestone. As a result, the country yet again became a trailblazer that inspired other underdogs to dream of breaking World Cup barriers in the near future. It is, it is as if Moroccan football's destiny is to be a barrier breaker. Some might be tempted to argue. And... To put it mildly, such an argument would be far would be far from far-fetched or unreasonable. Like their male counterparts in 1986, who were the first African Arab 
team to make it out of the World Cup stage, Morocco's Atlas Lionesses became the fir- became this year the first Arab team to both qualify for the World Cup and advance to his round of 16. So I've paused and gone back and forth in terms of my mind. The reason I'm saying so, I think it's a really good article. Really good. I think it's one of the best articles I've read um, via GarnSuckerNet.com. Um, but continuing, because it's, it's pretty much... Jesus Christ, no. Yeah, it's pretty much finished. The awe, admiration, and enthusiasm that this performance elicited in the whole world has undoubtedly contributed to the significant boost to Morocco's reputation, providing a North African country with a new and effective tool of soft power to gain sympathy and affection of many across the world. Isn't that interesting how something soft, I use their words, soft power in terms of performing well on the world stage and something like football can actually improve your, your PR as a country. Continuing, unlike many countries in its neighbourhood, Morocco's rich history, vibrant culture, breathtaking landscapes, delicious food and hospitable people have made it a favourite destination for millions worldwide. As someone who has lived away from Morocco for the past 23 years, I can attest to this reality. Yo, I need to know who wrote this article. This is a very good article. Continuing. Whether in France, Spain or the United States, people from all walks of life routinely express admiration for Morocco's rich history and captivating culture. Unlike countries in the region that lack similar soft power, that word again, Morocco often receives free publicity from numerous world-acclaimed individuals without having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to obtain positive endorsements. You know what? That's bloody interesting. It's very similar to Ghana, in fact, you know, in regards to Afrofuture, um, a shout-out, um, Abdul Karim and the team, obviously, for Afrofuture, etc., etc., and those who go to Ghana for Christmas, I know that's become a thing. And on the subject of positive, positive endorsements, when you have great tourism... I think the tourism and the people who visit your country will will speak for you and provide that PR. But continuing, in recent years, celebrities such as Oprah, Madonna, Mariah Carey, to name but a few, have on numerous occasions expressed their admiration for Morocco's culture and the hospitality of its people. Following the earthquake that struck oh my god, following the earthquake that struck Morocco on September the eighth, the global community's impressive display of solidarity with the Moroccan people spoke volumes about Morocco's reputation as a reliable, progressive, and welcoming nation, constantly striving to serve as a bridge between cultures and continents. From Morocco's perspective, FIFA's decision to award the World Cup hosting rights to the joint Morocco-Spain-Portugal bid reflects the confidence regional and global organisations have in North African country. Have in the North African country. More importantly. The decision emphasises Morocco's status as a rising regional and continental sporting powerhouse. Ultimately, beyond its sport, ultimately, sorry, beyond its positive impact on Morocco's global reputation, hosting the global tournament in Morocco will undoubtedly accelerate the pace of development that the country has seen in recent years. And you know what? I am going to leave that there for this podcast. I think that was really insightful, really insightful. And I think no, Ghana, but we all have a lot to learn. I think Ghana are in a pretty, very similar place. And it's amazing because some of the negativity we speak about in regards to Ghanaian football as to, you know, people want to get rid of Chris Hughes and et cetera, et cetera. I think Ghana is, um, shares a lot of similarities with regards to Morocco as to Christmas or certainly, yeah, Christmas, let's say Christmas, but Christmas period and the enjoyment people have in going to Ghana to spend, to spend the festive period there. And I think that sort of PR, I think, 
is a building block or something, a foundation for things such a World Cup bid. I think it really is. I think what imagine a World Cup bid in Ghana, Nigeria, and Senegal. You know, I think that would be phenomenal. Anyway, let's leave that there. I think that's really interesting. I think there's a number of things I think that were said in this in this article here in Scott and Ghana Soccernet that I like to um, unpack. Maybe in another podcast or maybe in an article. Take care, guys, and have a nice weekend. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories and unfold in the coming weeks. As always, you've got any questions or queries, email us at teamgarnieu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnieu on IG or Twitter. Thank you. Take care. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.